half the battle is like getting to that, like where are the customers and how do I stay in front of the customers? And, and that speaks to the sort of distribution question and what model, whether it's D to C or a wholesale model, not for us anyway, locking into one channel exclusively, but being open to, you know, where the opportunity is and not being afraid to like experiment in, in different non-traditional lanes. Welcome to Ad Creative, a show about the unexpected ideas that change the game for DDC founders and operators and how you can leverage them to grow your own business. I'm Chase Moseni from Pencil. Thanks for joining us. My guest today is Rob Carliner, co-founder and COO of Angela Cadlia Skincare, and we talk about a wide range of topics. What you're in for is what he learned from producing films with Robert Duvall, what it's like betting it all on your bootstrap business idea, and how staying current and open to new technology without any bias has delivered massive wins for the business. Rob is a gem. I hope you enjoy it. I'm happy to have Rob Carliner on the podcast today, which is Angela Caglia, which you founded with his wife. I'm really excited to have you here, Rob. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. As you know, I'm a big fan of what you're doing at Pencil and the platform and staying relevant, which is, I think, a nice segue in, into the conversation, right? As a D2C founder, constantly yeah. looking out for things that like add value, right? Apropos yeah, of the sure. name of the podcast, because yeah. really everything that we do as founders falls into one of two camps. It's really either additive or subtractive. And that goes uh, across the board in relationships, but definitely in, in, in business as well. And it's figuring out how quickly the you can answer that question is the key i think to your success both in the sh short term and the long term does yeah. this add and like how can we maximize the additive value that whatever we're looking at in that moment yeah absolutely absolutely so before we jump into all these questions and fun stuff that everyone is going to want to dive into i'm really you know me, film nerd. I come from the same world. So I'm just going to list off some of some of the things that Rob has done. So he was the Emmy winning producer of Broken Trail in 2006, right? Correct. Which was the first yeah. AMC original production. That was literally their first foray into original programming. And it turned out really well. So you're the AMC OG is what you're telling me. Definitely. I'm, I'm proud okay. to say it. And so you worked with Robert Duvall. Were you guys production partners or what was the relationship there? Because I love, I'm going to be just that guy and call him Bob. Yeah. Uh, so I was really fortunate to have started off my career. One of my very first jobs in the business was working for Robert Duvall, initially yeah. as his assistant, which was obviously not glamorous, but for the, those of you out there who are starting out in your careers, it's still can be a viable path, entry-level rung in the food chain of the movie business or the TV business now more, but when I was coming up the movie business. And so I started out as his personal assistant on a couple of movies and really got to know him personally and really and a, a full understanding of how movies were made um, yeah. from the in, inside out. And, and over the course of the initial couple of years, we really developed a meaningful, like serious friendship, mentorship. And he's just been North Star for me for most of my yeah. career, both personally and professionally. I ended up starting out not knowing it at the time as his personal assistant, and then really spent the better part of my adult career in show business, which turned out to be over 20 years working with him and ultimately like very early on becoming his producing partner at yeah. a very young age, much younger than most people have the, the kind of opportunity that I was able to get because of that uh, trust and that personal relationship we had together. Yeah, that's great. I'm excited to hear as we go later on through the, through our session, what you learned specifically from him that's taken flight with the beauty brand. Yeah. Um, and I think the the last one I'm uh, excited yeah. about people hearing about is that you produced Jeff Bridges Academy Award winning film, Crazy Heart, which I love. Yeah. And again, another personal highlight of my career in the movie business. You toil at it long enough and people have careers that ebb and flow. And you really hope when you're in it that you can have 
at least one, if you're lucky, more than one. And for that rarefied field at the very top, dozens. But for most people, right, you're hoping you get a taste of that kind of success. And it's not necessarily monetary success, because I think people that go into the movie business go into it for all sorts of reasons. But ultimately, you're a storyteller or get excited about the process of storytelling and taking something that's just a seed of an idea and then nurturing it throughout that creative process, which is really something that I loved about my particular role in, in, in that movie in particular, but overall the kind of producer that I was really focusing on story and then ultimately figuring out how to put all the pieces together, financing, hiring directors, actors, right? Like conducting behind the scenes, which sort of blends both the creative and the business side of things. And so that really proved to be a very fertile a training ground for skills yeah. that really have served me well as I transitioned out of the movie business into a like consumer product, good beauty brand focused venture with my now wife. Yeah, that's great. I love that. I love that context. I think I was really excited to have this segue here because I think it's such an interesting path. And I think in DTC, a lot of times you were just talking about how you see how everyone's doing and it's a lot of hype is the wrong word, but you don't get a lot of, I came from this place and it's a non-linear path and it's still okay. And you guys just a few weeks ago sold out a whole QVC run that Angela did where she yeah. went on, correct? Yeah. And again, like I always look at things just because I spent the better part of my adult life in the movie business through the lens, the prism of like how the movie business works, because there are so many lessons that are applicable in, in into the D2C businesses in particular. And, and that one, we can get into it. You look for opportunities, right? Like when you're in it and you and then the sort of nonlinear way is is so fitting because in your mind, when you start out as a D to C founder, like at least I know I was guilty of this myself, you hear about the sort of one in a million success stories, right? Everybody points to the one that went from starting in their garage to selling for a hundred million dollars. That becomes the lore around yeah. any business. It was definitely the lore in the movie business when I was coming up in the 90s, the independent film scene was like, you could hear about these movies, whether it was Blair Witch Project or Sling Blade or my first movie, The Apostle, where you could make a movie independently, take it to a film festival, end up in a bidding war, and then the movie goes on to like these huge box office successes. But the, the dirty little secret is that for every one of those, there are 10,000 others that yeah fall by the wayside. And I'm sure the numbers are analogous, like whatever the industry is, like D to C, the restaurant business, but the lure that draws people into it isn't really the reality when you look at the numbers and or how long things really take, not the glamorized, like quick version that is an easy hook that everybody points to as the reason why they're into it or one of the reasons why or because somebody else did it it's possible that you can do it and it's just not the case it's hard to achieve that level of success whatever the medium is like that those movies that i mentioned or the the d to c like unicorn brands like most of us are not going to be those necessarily and so figuring out like how to try for that because like we all aspire to be that but at the same time like there's a really satisfying and lucrative path if you don't make it to that pinnacle of success if, if you want to call that success yeah absolutely i think it's um it's incredibly salient that you talk about that today considering all the macro factors that are that people are dealing with with the yeah. economy with inflation with with supply chain focusing on growing a profitable business has never been more important than it is today. And right. so the idea is right-sizing what success looks like to you because trying to become a 1 million annual revenue company is incredibly difficult. And that's, that's a plateau you get to, and then you move on to the next plateau that you want to work towards. So I guess moving into kind of some of our, our bigger questions here, how did you and Angela get the idea to start this business? I'm really curious about that. Yeah. So 
I was basically toiling as I did for many years, like making independent movies, which is a sort of very specific area within the greater entertainment business. And so I consider myself a dinosaur in the sense that like I started out at the height of the independent film madness. Miramax was the thing, Sundance, like the confluence of like really cool and interesting edgy films getting made and lots of money pouring into the space. And then sometimes when you're in something, you don't see the sort of macro trends that are happening around you. Now, over time, as we all know, what ended up happening and very subtly at first, right? The sort of Trojan horse of like when Netflix first arrived on scene and it was like, the studios were like, oh my God, this is like the white knight Netflix. It's perfect because the studios had all this content and Netflix had all this money and they needed content. So what did they do? They gave the studios tons of money to license their con their content because they needed programming. And then all of a sudden, like the studios were lulled into the stupor, collecting all this money from Netflix without really having to do much of anything new or innovate or stay relevant. And then at some point overnight, even though it wasn't overnight, Netflix decided, hey, wait a minute, why are we paying these guys all this money for licensing content when we can do it ourselves and then own it and then really exploit it? And look what happened, right? So the business completely morphed into something that looked totally different from when I started out. So you have now essentially like a few companies that are controlling the industry, whether it's Apple yeah. or Netflix or, or Amazon. So they've, I was, they've essentially become direct to consumer themselves, right? Yeah, that's right. They have all the data, right? Like they're data companies at the end of the day. Some people think, why does Adam Sandler have a 25 picture deal at Netflix? And yeah. the simple answer is because Netflix can tell you anytime they have an original Adam Sandler movie and they flip the switch and beam it into Madagascar and Montana and all parts of the world unknown, their viewership spikes, their subscriptions spike, and they can't lose because they know certain actors, certain genre, like it's all data driven. So they're not, they've taken the guesswork out of it. And so that's a huge advantage, right? If you control all the data, it's like the same advantage that up until recently, Facebook has controlling all the data. That's a huge competitive advantage, like in the marketplace when you have the data and no one else does. So over time, like I was still in it thinking, wait a minute, if I stay in it long enough, I can figure out how to beat the system or make a living or continue to make movies and make great content and sell it for way more than I made it. And it turns out like, at least as I saw it, the system is rigged against you because at a certain point, you can make the content, but if there are only three places to sell it, like whether it's Amazon or Netflix or Amazon, like they control the pricing and they don't care what it costs you to make something and the economics and, and the accounting is all very opaque. So a long-ish story shorter, I was making a movie here in LA, a low-budget independent film with Sharon Stone. And I met my now wife, Angela, and she had her own thriving practice as a celebrity esthetician with great clients in a spa in Beverly Hills. And I was coming back from the set every day, just absolutely miserable, like going, I'm not making any money producing this movie. It's really a pain. Everybody's bitter and angry for the most part because they're not making their full rate. And anyway, and I was over it. Sometimes you reach a point in life, in your career where you're just like, I can't really keep doing this. It's just something, the light goes off and it's just a struggle. And that's, I had reached that point in, in my career in show business where it was just a struggle and I couldn't see a way out and I couldn't necessarily even see how to keep it going. At a certain point too, you have a family and kids and like bills and you have to get real. So I was having one of those moments and then I met my now wife and the more she told me about her business and, and like what her goal was, she had a skincare line, she was experimenting with products. Like she herself had worked for other people most of her career up until that point. And then she had mentioned like that she had been on QVC before. One of her clients had started a skincare brand and was afraid to go on and asked Angela, can you go on for me? And she did. And she absolutely crushed it on air. Angela did. And like was hugely successful. And so I 
started, the wheels started turning. Obviously, I didn't set out to start a beauty brand. Like I was happily ensconced, like making movies and successfully enough. And but I was like, wait a minute. I think like I can apply the same skill set of producing, right? Assuming like most people fall into one of two categories of either producing or consuming. And I was producing at like the really highest level. So yeah. why can't I apply the same skill set and storytelling that I learned throughout my 20 plus years in, in the movie business and see if I can help Angela produce a skincare line, essentially, right? Not necessarily knowing like having never started a brand per se or a product focused venture. I just thought not like producing, right? There's certain fundamentals that like are the same regardless. And so the more we started talking and the more the wheels started turning, I was like, you know what? It's now or never like to essentially try to bet on myself, but bet on myself in a way that if we're successful, there's really a path to like real freedom and ownership in a way that doesn't exist in the movie business because everybody's working for somebody else. And the only people that own anything are Netflix and Amazon. Like you, you yeah. can't say an artist own anything. So I thought just how refreshing would it be to like go all in and bet on ourselves knowing that if we don't take the risk, like we'll never know. So that was the catalyst behind it. Now, at the time I thought, oh, this will be a piece of cake. I way underestimated like the amount of investment that I thought it would take to launch a skincare line and severely underestimated like what I thought in my mind time-wise it would take to build something successful. Like two big lessons out of the gate, looking back, I was like, oh, you were so naive. But the fact is you have to be naive because if you thought about everything that could go wrong and all the reasons not to start something, then you would never do it. I have so many questions that dovetail off of that. I think the first one comes from the last thing that you just said, which is if you're not naive, you will never start because it is so hard right. to do any, any of this stuff. And I guess my father-in-law told me he took a class at his work and he's, you're not supposed to say things are hard or, or that you have problems, just that you have challenges because you can unlock challenges. Just all the challenges that you are going to face because it's essentially my story. I produced a movie when I was 25 uh, that right. I directed. And if you had told me how hard it was going to be when I started, I would never have done it. But you just say, okay, I'm going to do this. You plant your feet in the ground. Like you go raise money, yeah. you, go, you go get actors, you go do this, you go get yeah. distributor, et cetera. And you just move on. I have found myself doing exactly what you said since then, which is anytime you have an idea, you just talk yourself out of it. Cause you're like, okay, I know how hard this shit is. I'm going to just take a step back. So that's the first thing I think I'm curious. Cause I think there's two things you brought up that are really important for people to, to recognize whether they want to start something, they're working somewhere, they have a great idea, is that betting on yourself and also not being afraid to take a risk. And I think this is, we all live in, a, in an Instagram, TikTok world where everyone you know is a CEO of a company and everyone's on Ferraris in Dubai. And yeah. that's, not the actual real, that's not the actual real world. And these things are scary. People have overhead with their lives about what kind of, you said it was just, you were burned out. How would you like framework wise, give a younger person or someone who's thinking about taking a risk? How would you have them think about it so that they feel confident like you did? Obviously you had a partner in Angela that said, okay, she's got the goods. I know that we can do this. It's more about, like you said, producing this product and right. this brand. Uh, but what would you say to those people? Look, I think you said it where a lot of it depends on where you are in the cycle of life, right? Taking a risk in your early 20s, if you don't have amount of debt, is a lot different and ultimately less risky overall than taking a risk and betting it all when you're like 50, right? Or later. So I think everybody has to answer that for themselves, depending on where they are. Like I can only speak to my experience as someone who did it at the midpoint of life. And you can do the calculations, both the financial calculations and the moral and mental and the fortitude like calculations. Like if I fail, would I rather go down having tried than not 
like attempted a risk at, at all. And that's a, just a deeply personal decision. And it's really what I think ultimately determines how much drive you have to succeed. And that's a, a big part of it is just, and most entrepreneurs, when we meet each other, like we sense that sort of relentless drive to figure it out, to be successful, to stay alive in the game a little bit longer. And that's not something you necessarily can teach someone. It comes from living and and like looking over the edge, looking into the abyss and like seeing the risk and like going, yeah, I get it, but I'm gonna go for it anyway. Yeah, that's... Uh we should frame that one looking into the abyss and saying i'm gonna go get it anyway that is the foundation of life i, I love that yeah yeah because it, it's so it, again like we said it's just so hard like most of the time you're getting knocked down and you just hope you stay in the game long enough to achieve those moments that you can celebrate and take a step and enjoy the success so like for us, getting an opportunity to launch on air at QVC was one of those moments. We'd been like full accelerator mode, like for four years and it's, whoa, this is what you play for. Like you're hoping like to get these opportunities when you can see it like there and you have to execute. Not only do you have to get the opportunity, but which is half the battle only, you actually have to deliver. Like it's like actors, you know, what separates the great actors from like, the ones you've never heard of is like when the cameras are rolling, when the director says action, you better come up with something. And the really great actors, like that's the moment that they live for. And I think for entrepreneurs too, it's, that's the allure, right? Those moments of like, when you get your shot and like, you can deliver it's so it, it's, it's so satisfying and rewarding, but the journey is painfully excruciating at times yeah for sure you and i have waxed poetic on this on many previous yeah. calls we're sitting there and we're looking and we're digging through everything i guess this kind of dovetails into my next question which what's been hard that you didn't expect to be hard and then what's been easier than you expected so i think like on a superficial level like people always will say like when they hear you're doing something in i would assume like any field, but like I've noticed it in, especially with the movie business and like in the beauty space, like on the surface, people are like, wow, isn't that so competitive? Like, how do you, you know, I would never pick that particular arena because it's just so highly competitive. And it's, I look at it again, having been through the movie business, like surviving that nothing seems as competitive. So I wasn't scared off by the competition, even though it's fierce and it, it takes up like anybody can start a brand just like anybody can make a movie these days on your phone or people but like that isn't the really the hard part is it, starting it. it's actually like scaling it and not running out of money and like being cash flow positive and so those challenges obviously are very real i think the time it actually takes to measure and see your success is again, a lot longer than you you ever anticipate necessarily like starting out. Cause if you really knew the answer to how long something would take, or if you knew in advance whether or not you were gonna be successful, like nobody would go for it. So the naivete can work to your advantage, but it's hard. Like day to day can be hard. And the financial piece is very real, right? Like cash flow is everything. And again, we have the unique perspective of using our own money, which really is even more challenging and, and heightens the the risk. And I'm assuming like most entrepreneurs like start out or use whatever resources and money. And we really try to keep it going as long as we could using our own money. And, and that's, again, ratchets up like the stress and the challenges. So the competition isn't what scared me in terms of challenges, but it was the sort of like time it takes to like get there is the hard part. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think what I take from that is it takes a long time for a brand to actually impact customers, even if right. you have a superior product. So I'm curious, 
how what's been the difference say from years zero to two to four in terms of how your brand impacts people so for me like i'm not an idiot in the sense that i didn't like partner or try to start any random business like in the same way that when i put a movie together or you find the right actor for the right role at the right time like i just knew in my gut that like angela if given the opportunity could really she in a an authority in her space in a space that like really is lacking authoritative figures because it's everybody and you now you see it with the proliferation of every celebrity seemingly has started a beauty brand right but what you can't manufacture or reverse engineer which is what like all these celebrities seem to be doing right is capitalizing on a trend and money to be made and you see it every industry but beauty now in particular is, is you know, having a spotlight with the sort of celebrities and it's what you can't manufacture in the test tube is the experience like that comes with having spent 28 years the way Angela did learning and honing her craft so already like if you can focus on that and I'm a firm believer right that's the storytelling piece that's what you what I looked at and, and thought we could bring to the table that people that would resonate with people like who are chasing all sorts of like miracle cures or celebrity brand like how about putting a real value on expertise like somebody who's dedicated their life to skincare and working on skin and shouldn't that message like went out at the end of the day assuming you can tell it and get to the right people and that's been the north star too that sort of guides everything that we do or try to do like just lean into what's our advantage over a celebrity brand or an influencer brand or and whatever the answer to that is really just hammering it hammering the messaging over time because it's just so much noise out there that it takes time and if your message is resonating th those fans that find you are going to really be loyal and stick with you and then that's you're you built from there have you found those customers that understand what Angela is bringing to the table in terms of her expertise really help sell the brand for you? Do you get a lot of extra customers that are through referrals? Definitely. Definitely. You know, I mean, it's like that core group that of the early adopters still drives like a significant portion of our revenue. And I think that's true of most, right? Like you want to find for us, it's all about the replenishables, like getting people hooked on the product. So they come back and and buy for more that's one advantage if you can do it right in the beauty space and, and you're selling product it, it is like when you make a movie it's like you buy a ticket and then it's over like the beauty of having a product focused business that like people if they like it will buy it multiple times is you don't have to be right telling the story like you just have to be consistent i always like in back in the day i the analogy of surviving in the movie business is every time you're making a movie and you'll appreciate this chase, right? It's like its own new startup. So like the same amount of energy, effort, like intensity that goes into making one movie. Once that movie's done, you're like, oh, now I've got to focus on creating a new startup. That's exhausting. As Whereas when you have a, gr a good idea or a great product and like you're all in, you really only have to be right once. So that yeah. to me was like already like way more appealing in terms of the odds than having to like keep starting over again, like every time I made a movie. I'm curious going to the next portion of this, because that was all of that was incredibly valuable talking about the business of the business on a micro level. I'm looking at all of your guys' products and I'm curious what product gets people in and then how do you cross sell these products? Cause you have a wide array of, of costs all the way down from 70, yeah. a couple thousand. And right. the margins on the 70 are probably really slim versus the $2,000 mask. So I'm curious how you guys structure that to get people in and do you bring them on replenishables and then try to cross sell? What's the strategy? So I wish I could say, looking back that we have a very clear strategy and I'll just be totally honest with you. Like, Initially, what the strategy was, yes, we knew that skincare and replenishment replenishables were where it's at, but at the same time, wait a minute. Instagram was like becoming a huge thing, and 
we needed something visual, like, right, to catch people's eyes. If you're leaning on your ability or a, with a moisturizer to somehow hook somebody like with essentially like a white cream in a TikTok and, or this was pre-TikTok, but even in Instagram, it's like, it's really hard. So we thought, okay, how do we use something that could be visually catchy? That's also authentic to Angela's practice as a facialist. So we settled upon, okay, what if we could mix the tools that are a part of her facials with the replenishables, just to give ourselves a visual, like compelling advantage, like stylistically. And that proved to be both a blessing and a curse in the sense that the tools really sell themselves, right? Like selling a, a, a pretty rose quartz roller when you were one of the first selling that, it was like, ooh, everybody was like, I want the new shiny thing in the beauty space. And which was great, especially as a self-funded brand, because we were more concerned about surviving than like establishing, hey, let's, we're just going to focus on margins and replenishables. And like, no, we were just like, hey, we've got to make money here. We've got to survive. So the tools really drove a lot of revenue initially. And then we figured, okay, we need to pivot and transition and make the tools less of a thing and more about the skincare. But as a skincare brand, if you don't have a lot of money to gift people, to sample it, your people are loyal to whatever products they use. So it's really hard to convert somebody. And so that challenge, I think we meet with Angela just being relentless in terms of educating directly to the consumer on Instagram as often as she can realistically contribute something new and fresh, but consistency. So it's the education and the authenticity that like is the driving force and to get people over that hurdle of spending like a decent amount of money, like we're not an impulse buy brand. So they have to really believe in, in Angela as a trusted source for the best skincare information and the best products. And so that is takes a little bit longer, but is proven to be our winning formula. Just keeping it focused on her into looking at the camera and educating people. What's that structure look like? I think every brand has their je ne sais quoi. There's a company called Obvi, which uh, sells collagen and they have a Facebook group and has like 50,000 people. And that's like their secret weapon learning from their customers. People really into the brand. I'm curious how often you guys are doing those educational videos and how often Angela is one-to-one -one interacting with the customers that you have. I, it feels like daily or like at least a check-in or because I think people in addition to getting the education piece and we try to structure it because there's subgroups of like people that follow us are actual practicing estheticians, right? Who, who look up to Angela as someone who's made it to the pinnacle of the esthetician hierarchy, like working on celebrities and having her online. And so we have those people, then they're people who are just right, really Gen X women, for example, who didn't grow up in and around like a digitalized like world who didn't have the ability to see a thousand uh, videos on YouTube about how to apply moisturizer or do your own makeup. Like our generation skipped all that. So these women have money and and time and genuinely missed the boat in terms of like getting the education. So that's another subgroup that, again, we found and identified not out of the gate, like I should we be, should be so lucky, but like over time, right? The more consistent you are in terms of your messaging, then in a per perfect world, like your tribe finds you, right? As opposed to if, again, the reverse engineer approach, and even now you see this in the beauty space, like everybody chasing like a millennial beauty consumer with super like poppy packaging. It's like, I don't know, I think like it, it's much harder, like, to become a legacy brand if your messaging isn't unique and, and authentic, like people just tire of it. And so we lean into like our core strength, which is really Angelo directly. So Rob, I think our next business venture together is going to be doing like Elon's version of the boring company for like boring beauty, brown box. We don't say anything. We just say it's good for you. And just all it is just an Instagram with facts about why. Yeah. And there are like companies that like are in that space, that right? it's like, su like super transparency, right? Like to an extreme, this is how much, and there's room for that. Cause so it's just about finding your 
niche, like in all of it, whatever it is. But to your point about starting another company, dude, I don't know. I need some like time off after this one. I don't know about you. It just, and God bless like serial entrepreneurs. I get it. But I, I'm just like, wow, this is going to be like, if we can get to that point and exit and sell, walk away with enough money to live comfortably. Like, I want to enjoy that. I don't know about you rather than jumping back into something right away again. Oh no. I imagine you at least for a year on a beach in Greece. Yeah, exactly. Anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm going to get into some of these kind of more metrics driven stuff. Cause I think it's really yeah. interesting. So out of the customers that you have and how, what's the percentage of recurring customers that you have on a monthly basis? So I would say like 40% are returning. So okay. it's yeah. Split like 60 new 40 returning and, and it fluctuates. Like the goal is right. At least 50, 50 or higher, or just keeping that, keeping that going. The returning customers are everything. Yeah, for sure. And are you guys using any sort of like email drips or SMS to re-engage them or have they just, after they've gotten their first purchase, hit the subscribe and it just so rolls over, over for me? Like I'm constantly like surveying the landscape of what new software exists to take a lot of the guesswork out of these critically important make or break kind of decisions. Yes. Like the answer is we do all of the above that you can do to both attract new customers and retain the ones that uh, we already have and, and like really maximizing cart value and all the things like upselling and cross-selling. It's three-dimensional chess. You're constantly like second guessing yourself, like whether or not there's something else out there that like could improve it more than what you're already doing. It's like that, that nagging like fear. What's the other guy doing and are we doing enough so then what tools are you using right now that you're excited about obviously besides pencil definitely pencil in a way for me was like started it all because so much of being an, an entrepreneur and, and using your own money it's just it's a it's like going to graduate school right like you're teaching yourself along the way and hoping you don't make a big enough mistake that torpedoes the whole thing so when you're spending your money, you're really careful about it. And then you have a nose for it. So again, pencil for me, was one of those, wait a minute, there's gotta be a tool out there. Cause what are the pain points? Like content is everything paid ads, like you messaging as a sort of mom and pop operation that could give me a competitive advantage against people with, you know, bigger teams and a lot more money. So like that to me, it was one of the huge advantages of pencil. But similarly, it's also what draws me to other software or people who are in the space who are easily able to solve like add value and value can be right, like direct, like sales and revenue, or right. It could be something that saves time or in the case of pencil, like both, right? Like the two mo most precious resources we have as entrepreneurs are time and money. So the platforms that are, you know, most appealing to me, check both of those boxes. They're saving me time and making me money. Yeah. So outside of pencil, maybe what are one or two that have done, uh, kind of ticked both of the, or check both of those boxes for you? So, and again, these, some of these I found like just randomly or like by accident. So we're hosted on Shopify and I had some like technical issue with the store and getting on with customer support on Shopify. And if you get the right one, everyone's trying to be super helpful in that sense. we would talk about like people genuinely help each other out. So just as a goof, I said to whoever the random person on the other end at Shopify was like, is there anything you can see, you know, in my store that you think I'm not doing that I, I could be doing to make more money because you're in it and you don't necessarily know it when you're in it, all the tools. And so Shopify said, have you tried the frequently bought together app, which uses the algorithm and takes all of your data, sales data, and basically then like pairs products together, bundles them and just creates like a very simple way that now on product pages, you can add two products together that the algorithm said are frequently bought together or just one. Okay. So what do I have to lose? Like not thinking like that would necessarily do anything and boom. And this is like the beauty of you get the right app 
I set it up. It was super easy. I turn it on. And then at the end of the month, I'm seeing there's an extra 15,000 in revenue for something that I never would have discovered on my own or even thought to try that is yielding like real revenue. Same thing goes now for um, PostScript and SMS. Like we started out, it was just email marketing, just email marketing. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, wait, people are talking about SMS marketing. Is that really a thing? We better just capture these phone numbers early on because maybe it's a thing and it doesn't hurt to get an email and a phone number, all things being equal. Sure enough, you get hooked up, like PostScript's been great. All of a sudden, hey, there's an extra $30,000 from SMS marketing that I didn't even know was a thing up until stumbling upon it. These are like really make or break like additive things that like we only are finding recently. And then maybe that's because again, I'm not steeped in it, but like it's part of the fun and the joy of being in the trenches and or Twitter, right? Now it's UGC. We talked about that briefly before, right? Like now you paid UGC is a thing. I was like, really? Maybe I should do it. Like I'm not doing paid. And then you do get into Twitter and okay, here are the people like, right? So part of the excitement of being an entrepreneur or thinking like that is like finding those little like nuggets, those treasures that are exciting to find and, and actually make you money. Those are really meaningful bumps in revenue. I think, you know, SMS is such an interesting one because obviously we've all been, and I know a lot of people are doing it already, but we've all been, you know, taught to write an email drip. We also know that emails are, all of our emails are so flooded. Yeah. I wrote the other day about how I'm so sick of getting a 10% off pop-up the minute yeah. I go onto a site before I even get to experience the site. Like I get to the site within three seconds, it's that. It's like, dude, 10% is not meaningful enough for me to do this right. if I'm at $30 shirt. Let me just surf and maybe right. we can talk about it if I get to the checkout, but they want my email. But SMS, yeah. I think finding cuts through really well. And I've seen it with B2B companies and, and, and D2C companies. And I, I think it's, it's going to be more and more prevalent because it's that thing, go where your customers are yeah. and they're on, they're on their phones. They're not looking at their email. I look at my business email all day. I look at my right. personal email maybe once a day and I filtered it so that all the promotions and stuff go to one folder and maybe yeah. the brands that I like, it will show it like the algorithm will show it. So that's really, yeah, that's really interesting. And then you go down the rabbit hole of Twitter where everybody seemingly has got like a formula that beats everybody else's formula for squeezing every potential nickel of revenue but you have to do it their way with their flow and theirs is proven and like the 20,000 other solicitations you get are all like bs yeah that's annoying oh it's it's really annoying i think what i have learned again we talked to you know thousands of, of customers at this point for pencil yeah. is context in all business is paramount and so i can paint with an 80 percent wide, here's a framework brush, but the 20% of context that you know, and you will know better than I ever will about your business and how it runs right. is going to dictate all the success that you have because frameworks are just that they're frameworks. Your body as a person can't stand without uh, bones and muscle and tissue. Right. And so maybe I can give you the bones of it, but if there's not muscle and tissue and blood and all of the other things, which is what the actual founder or operator would do. There's no way for it to actually stand up and work for the business because for, you have a high margin, you have a high margin, but also probably high CAC business. And so yeah. going, look, I can see this, oh, you should, you should run all of these ads and you should run it for the $70 product. Cause you'll get more, you get more conversions. It's, yeah. But I'm going to pay for that same. I'm going to pay the same CPA for that customer essentially, or maybe 30% less, but I'm losing out on say quadruple the amount of revenue on first purchase. And so that right. doesn't make sense. So yeah, I, I think it's really paramount to make sure that we have all the context. And and I think that's something for all entrepreneurs or, or anyone listening to this to think about. You're going to be on Twitter, you're going to be online, and everyone's going to tell you that they know everything. And they know a lot, a lot of smart people out there. But remember that only you know about your business. Yeah. And I think complementary to that, it's no one cares as much about your business as you do. So all these people selling all these get rich quick schemes and algorithms don't care about your business the way you will care about your business. And that gets lost in all of uh, the hype and the 
frenzy around like what what happens on Twitter or other places. For sure. Yeah, no one will ever care about your business the way you care about your business. That is 100% right. true. So I'm, I'm curious what channels are working best for you and like what methods you're using on those channels to acquire customers? So again, through a lot of sort of trial and error of different approaches, again, it's like for us, it's Angela just doing lives, right? And talking about what she knows best, skincare. And then that's that's the gateway to any and all of our success, even in terms of, right, say, look, we're doing paid media on, right, Instagram and Facebook and Google, and, and we've tried on Pinterest and TikTok and all these places. But for us, again, I think the channel that seems to be working or scalable is just a Facebook and Instagram lives, right? Like we haven't cracked the TikTok code yet by far. And I may, may not even be the right channel for us. We're always experimenting too, because like maybe there is a pool and a pocket, like we just haven't figured out how to get to them yet. So that's also part of the challenge. So Facebook lives and, and Instagram lives, I'm curious what the viewership looks like there, because I found I've done these in the past with other brands and you get them, but a lot of times you do the celebrity ones and it's just people saying, Hey, what's up? Um, right wanting to see what's going on what's the catch and response rate between the people who join and an angela when she's on there i probably don't have the right tool to measure that like effectively but again i feel like a lot of the professional estheticians are really like responding as like consistent and loyal followers and super fans and proselytizers and pulling their other. So that is a big part. And and again, Gen X women too, who are genuinely interested in hearing about things that they never, no one ever taught them. So those two um, audiences right now are, are seem to be our most loyal and most consistent. Like whenever she'll jump on, it doesn't require like a lot of forethought or planning or we're doing a thing, but they're always there when Angela shows up. Yeah, it's incredibly, I don't know, what's the best word? Incredibly refreshing to hear someone say that Gen X is actually their core demo that's working because everyone is millennial, Gen Z, Gen Y, really focused in yeah. every, every D2C business. So hearing that Gen X is actually making a name for itself for your yeah. business. And, and you know why? Like we've been in talks at Sephora and the it's just an underserved and deep-pocketed subset that isn't like overwhelmed or bombarded like by newness like in the way that you know millennial focused gen z focused brands are right because those areas are already oversaturated but, like the idea that, and, and you get the trap right is that's what vc like that seems to be where smart money is all you will in order to get the 100 million return you gotta be you gotta get them at that age and it's gotta you know go viral and all this other stuff but it's it's just they're already oversaturated they are in beauty a millennial brand you know so and that's thankfully organically not our niche so believe me you can do really well <laughs> focusing on gen x women and absolutely crushing it so yeah. it's like finding out who's your audience right like that part's really important for survivability and our audience is less served than millennials are like by makeup brands or nail polish brands like good luck like trying to break through there without spending millions tens of millions of dollars to get your message through yeah that's really fascinating i think like you said most of us essentially mirror what we see rather than hey there's this underserved market like you said that frankly of all of them is the farthest along in their financial lives so like yeah. you said, they have deep pockets and they want those things. I think the other one thing that's a really hidden hidden gem from that group, they did grow up with phones in their hands and like innate loyalty to brands once they find something. For instance, I'm sure you do this. I have like four brands of things that I use. And once I find, I maybe experiment a little bit. And then once I find one, I never change. Right. And so they, they put it, set it and forget it subscription. And so it's the same thing I, I find because once you get closer to the, the phone generation, it's just, 
they're so bombarded by different products and different things. Like you'll just try anything. You don't yeah, care. Totally. I with my wife, she'll just, she's trying stuff continuously and it's, she'll find something and then keep it, but she's always looking for the next thing. And I don't right. I see that with the generation that came before. Yeah, uh, for sure. want to get into something and just that be their thing. So that's a yeah. really interesting kind of superpower for your business actually. Yeah, no question. And by the way, like, that's why I'm sure no surprise, like we absolutely crushed it or Angela did on QVC, right? The, the average QVC watcher shopper is not digitally native either. So like, they're happy to pick up the phone, call in, make an order. There's something satisfying about the people who fundamentally watch that and keep our, our loyal, regular watchers feel connected to the host of the shows. And like, it's, experience and it's definitely not what millennials and gen z are used to and their business is better than it's ever been on qvc so on a nerd on a nerdy note because i have no idea what is the, the qvc take rate when they when you do something like that because obviously you're supplying the products you're you're buying the space to be beyond qvc the quid pro quo essentially is you get the airtime and you have to on consignment provide everything else and then there's a split right any retailer split like in their favor but so they have no upfront financial risk and then you have to provide all the product at whatever you know numbers they request and obviously it's like everybody's incentivized to make it work and then whether or not you get a second chance is all based on how much you're selling per minute. It's like really black and white. It's super cutthroat. There's a minimum threshold that they make per minute. And if you don't make it, then there's no going back. The flip side is if you do make it, the growth is exponential, right? Because as long as you can keep going back and keep making your numbers, what starts out as like a one-off experience, like that becomes once a month, that becomes bi-monthly, that becomes weekly. And then you start looking at that the exponential success that kind of volume brings, and that's like winning the lottery if you're able to achieve that level of success in that form, in that, in that channel. I would assume there's a bit of osmosis also on the the D2C funnel from there. You people see you on there, they go check out your website, they see other products. And there, For sure. there has to be some sort of halo effect that comes with that. Because I think this is something we're seeing more and more is everyone had for the last 10 years, all of the digital channels, you didn't have to do any of the old methods of, of making, making money or, or acquiring customers. And now what you're seeing is people are trying to get on connected TV. People are doing mailers again. QVC is having its best year ever. And it's because these things didn't they just weren't posh. They didn't go out of, they went out of style. They didn't go out of effectiveness. These things all still work. Yeah. So and by the way, like for me, like I still have like spectrum cable. I'm yeah. not like my daughter's like, what's cable? It's like such a foreign concept, but I'm still like, like a cable box, like cables. And I see like still like local produced like ads that like are so like amateurish but because of, I'm sure the way the FTC rules in the local air, like there's a certain percentage of airtime, like on cable that they have to dedicate to like local ad space. And I'm seeing, I've probably seen a local TV ad on CNN for a rug shop in the Valley, but I've probably seen that ad like 10,000 times. And I was so curious about, that's another one of those random, I would even be open to experimenting with like local TV ad spot just because I clearly like they can't give away the space, but so many people like me are home and happen to watch it. It's like finding ways maybe that aren't always at the cutting edge of the latest TikTok hook trend, say algorithm chasing kind of thing that you have to compete against. Yeah, I'm sure that would work for you guys have the local salon, so I'm sure yeah. local lots would actually be pretty, pretty powerful. Okay. That's great. I'm going to transition to the next little batch of fun stuff. I guess the, the the good transition question we have here that I love is what's your big idea for where the business goes next? You just had QVC. You've got some, I mean, that things. is the big idea. Like we're there. So okay. the big idea is right. Is finding a channel that works 
and executing it flawlessly, right? Because half the battle is like getting to that, like where are the customers and how do I stay in front of the customers? And and that speaks to the sort of distribution question and what model, whether it's D to C or a wholesale model or a 360, not for us anyway, locking into one channel exclusively, but being open to, you know, where the opportunity is and not being afraid to like experiment in, in different non-traditional lanes. So QVC being a perfect example. My next one is a set of rapid fire fun questions, because I think you, you summed that up perfectly and how I would sum it up is where are your customers? Right. Where, where do you get a positive signal that things are working and then build adjacent channels and experiments, yeah. like that, but make sure that channel you execute flawlessly. And yeah. just have things in the backlog that you're testing to make sure that you don't have to be entirely reliant on that channel, which is essentially what people have been saying. Oh, Facebook has been our winner. So we don't want right. to be completely dependent on that. I think it's never being afraid of the fact that there are channels that you perform better on. For instance, you said, look, we do for digital, we do Facebook, Instagram, Google, and we are experimenting with the other ones, but we haven't hit it. It's the same thing here. QVC is the place where you're going to go down the path and then having right. these other is continuously moving. Yeah, that's really great. So where do you get your best ideas? Talking to people who are smarter than you in the trenches, like who are in it all the time, like you guys, right? Like where you're covering so much more ground than I can cover as a one-off operator and you're really smart and you create a great product. So that you guys have been a tremendous resource, right? Because I can ask you a question and have the benefit of somebody who's like literally seeing it all in real time and 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 being able to quantifiably identify what's working and not working. So finding the right resources and people like that really know their shit is huge in terms of like how I think we're successful and are able to stay successful. So I tremendously value like always like having conversations with you learning, not being afraid to ask or admit that you don't know things. So much of my knowledge has been self-taught. It's very tempting to get lured by somebody who's, hey, we're an agency. We'll take all the headache off your hands and guarantee you a 10x return. Does that sound good? Here, sign up. It's thousands of dollars every month. Like <laughs> that appeal has worked on me like a few times. And then I got to the point where I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, before I throw in the towel, let me see if I can, like, it, at, at a bare minimum, do as good as these other guys who are purported to be experts in the space and just not pay the, like, huge fee that is getting me nowhere anyway that I can maybe use in, in for actual, like, ads. So, thankfully, like, I found you. I, I find another, that the program that the Magix has in terms of automizing the budget and the spend in a way that that was really challenging for me to try to do the creative obviously is its own animal but then okay now I'm spending all this money in ads like how do I manage this like in a way that like both prevents heavy losses but at the same time is able to scale and make decisions in a way that I might not be able to either because I'm a rookie or sometimes human error is like a real thing and you're too close to something and you're not seeing trends. And so I find that sometimes the, like with budget optimization that they have, like that can be a really effective tool for somebody like me who's juggling multiple hats and can't afford to hire agencies for every channel. I think the heart of what you're saying, which is talk to people who are smarter than you is always my number one thing. There's so yeah. many people out there and they can just share so much just sitting here listening to you share your story about this. Uh, I'm going to go to some more fun questions than yeah. that one. What's your favorite place to, to travel? So if you, for instance, you exit off this business, where would you guys want to go? We love Paris. Angelus speaks French. Like I have cousins there. So that holds a, a special place in our hearts and it's Paris. It's when you're in the beauty and the aesthetics like space, it's hard not to like want to go to Paris because that's a sensory uh, overload and the best in all the best possible ways. So that would be good. And then I'm also down for just a cabin in the woods and like no other distractions. 
Yeah, I love both of those. Maybe Cabin yeah. Woods, a few hours, what is it? A few hours north of Paris. A few hours north. Yeah, Normandy yeah. or, yeah, like someplace, yeah. yeah. First of all, when was the last time you went to Paris? It's been four years. One of those areas, as we all know, there's really not a lot of time to vacation oh. or take time off. And obviously with the pandemic, no one did it anyway. But even now, that's the trap you fall into of working all the time. Yeah, not, you know, pumping the brakes every so often to just appreciate both like what you've accomplished, hopefully, and to prevent like real burnout, mental and physical. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping you get to enjoy some travel and, and tell me what your favorite meal is when you travel. I hope it's something like a restaurant you and Angela love in Paris. Yeah, for sure. We, we do love to eat and yeah, definitely will. Okay. So what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? I guess it would go back to a lot of the, the time and the lessons that I learned from Robert Duvall, having spent so many years working with him and together. And I would say, and it's what informed him as an actor. And it really, I think, informs me as an entrepreneur in daily life. And it's not his quote, but it's a quote of his mentor in acting teacher, Sanford Meisner, whom he studied under, who would have on the blackboard at the neighborhood playhouse in front of the class, like, again, specifically about acting, but you'll see it can apply and does in so many different areas of life. But essentially the quote is, there's no such thing as right or wrong. There's only truthful and untruthful. So really living a truthful existence and it can mean different things for for different people but i just try to live by that philosophy of just being truthful yeah that's incredible sand sandy meisner i haven't yes. heard, about, heard that name in a bit that's yeah. a, a legend total right. legend this is my last one what would you tell a younger founder operator starting out that maybe you didn't know beforehand and i think your experience of starting in the film industry and transitioning to a dtc founder is really interesting here wow it's a bunch of things come to mind one is pay your dues right there's there shouldn't really be like an overnight success yes they exist and we all read them but don't be afraid to pay your dues like it's okay to start at the bottom and learn a craft and learn from people who are smarter than you, hopefully, right? Surround yourself with people who are smarter than you initially and figure out what it is that makes you tick. Maybe not something that was planted by a friend, a parent or something else, but really listening to your inner voice and gut and figuring out what it is that excites you that doesn't feel like work and leaning into that as a path and you just can't go wrong and that will save a lot of years of zigging and zagging and i wish somebody had, had really told me pursue your path like whatever that is whatever that little spark is that gets you excited is the answer and sometimes you don't pay attention or you don't realize that's a thing when you're just starting out because there's so many other factors that have gotten you to that point and it's when you just transition and start to think independently don't be afraid to listen at that age and follow that voice follow your spark and listen i think that's something that uh i don't know it's, i don't want to say it's beat out of us at a young age yeah. but uh, there's a lot of practicalities that are involved that's the thing right Grow, a person growing up, I would say one thing funny, you'll, I've been talking to a lot of young people, which is a funny right. thing to say in the DDC space, and they are so dialed in. It is amazing to see that they understand their spark as right. you're it, and they're rigorously focused on following that. And I'm, I don't want to say not jealous. I'm inspired by their ability to have a North Star at such a young age, because I, yeah. I don't that happened before this generation who had so much access yeah no for sure it didn't happen for me it obviously sounds like it didn't happen for you right we're being guided by all these other forces that we're not really aware of at that stage in the game that are more in control than we are this has been amazing i 
learn so much. Uh, I think it's so interesting hearing about cross training that people go through. I, I, yeah. Nonlinear paths are my favorite, considering I have a very nonlinear path to you and I speaking here today as well. Yeah, um, no, exactly. That's why we're kindred spirits that way. And we appreciate like the journey yeah. more now because we've been on it for a lot longer and had our zigs and zags and appreciate it in a way that never would have like when I was younger. So how can people follow you or, or get in contact with you if they wanted to chat? So I'm available on LinkedIn, which speaking of random channels, like I didn't really get into how significant LinkedIn actually was for me as someone who bypassed Facebook for the most part as I was in it as a channel that really grew my business. So LinkedIn for sure. Rob Carliner on LinkedIn is to get to me personally. And then the skincare line is Angela Collier Skincare. And that's on Instagram, probably ideally in Facebook too. So e either of those channels. Thank you for joining us for the pod today. Hopefully we can do it again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Chase. Keep up the great work, by the way. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ad Creative from Pencil. We hope you enjoyed our chat and learned a thing or two that can help you grow your business and think more creatively. If you have someone that you think we should interview, hit me up on Twitter. We want to have the most amazing lineup possible. Also, if you could please share and review this, we want to help as many people as we can. Until next time, add some creativity into your life. Thanks. <laughs>